Welcome to the Verse by Verse podcast, a ministry of the Friendship Congregational Bible Church. I'm Richard Church, the teacher on Verse by Verse, and I'm glad you've joined with us today as we study together God's infallible word, verse by verse. Matthew chapter 11, the first 12 chapters of the book of Matthew they kind of go together as a as a unit. Once you once you get into chapter 13, Christ's earthly ministry is entering a, a different phase because at that point the kingdom has been rejected. So when we're here in chapter 11, we're getting we're getting that close to that point where the nation had had rejected uh, that that offer of the kingdom and that message that the kingdom was at hand. Here, by the time we're getting into chapters 11 and 12, the nation has had plenty of opportunity to receive that message of the kingdom, that gospel of the kingdom. And uh, Matthew chapter 11, verse 1, it says, And it came to pass, when Jesus had made an end of commanding his twelve disciples, he departed thence to teach and to preach in their cities. Now, if you remember chapter 10, he sends out the, the disciples, I mean, before, before that, he had been teaching and they were there learning, but he sends them out as apostles uh, to go out you know, on their own and, and preach and teach in Israel. And here Christ then departs and he goes to teach and preach in their cities. And verse 2 says, Now when John had heard in the prison the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said unto him, Art thou he that should come or do we look for another? Jesus answered and said unto them, Go and show John again those things which ye do hear and see, the blind receive their sight, and the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he whomsoever shall not be offended in me. Now, uh, here we see John the Baptist mentioned again, and there hasn't been much mention of, of John the Baptist since back in chapter 3, uh, because remember that, that John had made it clear that he, the one he was preaching about was Jesus Christ. And he, he made statements like the fact that, that he must increase, I must decrease. Right? And so, so John the Baptist, as far as his ministry, it, it, not, not so much, it doesn't so much go into decline as it is that, you know, now the one he, that he was preparing the way for is there. And so, you know, John, John's ministry doesn't have the same importance it does before Christ starts his ministry. And uh, John is even put into prison. Uh, that's that's uh, you know back several chapters in the book of Matthew that John the Baptist is put into prison. And here John is in prison, and he sends a couple of his disciples to go to Jesus and, and ask him that question: uh, Are you the one? Art thou he that should come, or do we look for another? Now it's kind of a strange question for John to ask. Uh, if you remember, uh, even before John was born, he recognized that, that Jesus was the Christ. You remember when, when Mary, uh, when Christ is, is conceived in Mary, and her cousin is pregnant with John the Baptist, and she goes to, to visit her, and John, the, the babe, leaps in her womb, because he, you know, John is a, is a unique individual as well. He was filled with the Holy Spirit from the womb. Now that's a, that's a, a strange thing. Uh, you, don't, you don't see other people like that in the Bible. And even in the womb, he could recognize uh, that that unborn baby that was in Mary's womb was the Christ, and he leapt for joy. 
Uh, remember how when he baptized Christ, he had been told that the one that he saw the Holy Spirit descend on in the form of a dove, that that was the Christ. And, and so John has all of this evidence that Jesus is the Christ, uh, and he sends these disciples. It's, it's maybe kind of hard to speculate exactly what's going through John's mind. It, it sounds, uh, especially by what Christ says at, at verse 6, where uh, it seems to be kind of a, a reminder to John, blessed is he whomsoever shall not be offended in me. Seems like he's, he's kind of saying, John, remember, don't, don't give up, don't, don't be offended. But it seems that even, even to John, John is wondering, as John is seeing the, the response here of the nation of Israel or hearing reports of it, uh, from his prison cell, he's kind of, he's kind of wondering, what's, what's going on here? Is it, you know, is he the one? He had all this evidence that he was the one. But he says, is, are you the one or, or do we wait for another? Is there somebody else later that's going to come along? And, you know, the Lord Jesus Christ, it's very rare uh, when somebody comes and asks Christ a question, it's very rare that he gives a direct answer. Do you ever notice that when you read through the Gospels? So ask a question. I mean, that could be a, you know, pretty much a yes or no question. Yes, I am the one or no, I'm not the one. But, but Jesus Christ never gives an answer like that uh, when somebody comes and, and asks him a question. And what he says instead is, he, verse 5, well, verse 4, Jesus answered and said unto them, Go and show John again. Those things which he do hear and see. And he lists those things. What, what's happening through Christ's ministry? The blind are receiving their sight. The lame walk. The lepers are cleansed. Uh, the deaf hear. The dead are raised up. And the poor have the gospel preached to them. And, you know, he, he mentions that for a specific reason. Go, go back to Isaiah chapter 35. Now, Isaiah 35 is a chapter that is, that is really about the, uh, the establishment of the kingdom, okay? And there are many times in the Gospels where these passages that are talking about, really about future things when, when the kingdom would be established on earth are taken and applied to Christ's earthly ministry because he's proclaiming the kingdom. Really, you can say that the kingdom was present in the person of Christ. And so so those things that, that were going to happen later when the kingdom was, was actually established on the earth, you see them evident in the earthly ministry of Christ. Now here we can see in Isaiah 35, if we start in verse 1, it says, The wilderness and the solitary place shall be glad for them, and the desert shall rejoice and blossom as the rose. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice even with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given unto it. The excellency of Carmel and Sharon, they shall see the glory of the Lord and the excellency of our God. Uh, strengthen ye the weak hands and confirm the feeble knees. Say to them that are of a fearful heart, be strong. Fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. Even God with a recompense, He will come and save you. Now there is it describes changes in the earth. It describes the, the desert uh, blossoming and, and uh, blossoming as a rose. There are, when, when that kingdom is established on the earth, you understand that there, there are changes that take place in the earth. Uh, you know, and there's, there's all kinds of things you can read in prophetic passages throughout the Old Testament about how the geography has changed and, and so many things are changed in the earth. Uh, and here it's describing in that kingdom how places that are, are desert now are going to be fruitful and, and blossom. And what, what happens in the, in that, uh, that thousand year reign of Christ, you know, between, between Christ's second coming and eventually you have you know, you have Satan loosed again and you have, uh, uh, 
you know, eventually that, that um, great white throne and then a new heavens and a new earth. But in that thousand years, uh, the, there's still sin on the earth. Okay, that's why at the end of the thousand years, Satan can be loosed and, and he finds willing participants to come and form an army to once again, one last time, try and fight against the Lord. There is still sin on the earth, but much of the, the effects of the curse on the earth are removed. So that there's longevity restored. Now there's still death, but there's much, you know, much longer lives like there were before the flood. And it's, it's kind of that same, same sort of situation on the earth. You know, between the fall and the flood, there was sin and death in the world, but people lived very long lives. The, you know, the world, uh, apparently was a very much more fruitful place, uh, than what it later became. And, and during that kingdom, it's that same kind of thing. And that's what's being described here. Uh, notice in verse 5, though it says, Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap as an heart, and the tongue of the dumb sing. For in the wilderness shall waters break out, and streams in the desert. And you see how it describes there how the, the blind, their eyes are going to be opened. The, the ears of the deaf will be unstopped. The lame man is going to leap as a, as a heart. And it goes on to describe things in that kingdom. Uh, you know, there was a, there was a reason why, um, when you go back in the Old Testament, uh, when, for instance, uh, people had leprosy, you know, one of the, one of these diseases. Remember the, the arrangement between God and Israel was God said if they obeyed Him, they wouldn't have all these diseases and things. Uh, but if they disobeyed, He was going to, to bring these things on them, to discipline them. And, you know, you, you see all these things that were evident in Israel at the time of Christ, all the, the, uh, Blind, you know, everywhere he goes, there's lepers and blind people and lame people and, and that kind of thing. And that was because they were under the, the judgment of God. They were under a curse. And Christ comes and he's, he's, as he's proclaiming the kingdom, he's giving them a taste of that kingdom where those things are not going to be prevalent. Okay? And, and so when John uh, apparently has these doubts about Christ or, or at least, you know, sends some people to ask the question, are you really the one? Christ doesn't just answer it and say, yes, I am. He says, you, you know what's happening. And John knows about these things. If you go back to our text, you see it says, uh, verse 2, when John had heard in the prison the works of Christ. He knew all these things that were going on in Christ's ministry. And that's what Christ points to. And he says, look, this is what's going on. You tell me. What do you think, John? Uh, lame people are walking, blind people are seeing, deaf people are hearing, the dead are being raised. What do you think? Am I the one or, or are you still waiting for somebody else? All of the signs of the kingdom are evident there in, in Christ's ministry. And, you know, Christ, Christ didn't go around, He didn't go around telling people, believe that I'm the Christ. Uh, you know, if you, if you study historical sources, there were a lot of messianic type figures around this time of Christ that went around saying, I'm the Christ, and, or other people said, here's the Christ. Okay? And, and in fact, uh, Christ warns that in his absence, there are going to be a lot of people doing that. And, and they're going to say, you know, he's, Christ is out there. Let's, you know, let's go out there. There's going to be people saying, I am Christ. You don't see Jesus going around saying, believe on me, I'm the Christ. He doesn't do that because his ministry was designed to work in a different way. Go over to the, the Gospel of John. And go to John chapter 10 and notice some things that, that Christ says about himself in John chapter 10. 
John chapter 10, verse 24 says, Then came the Jews round about him and said unto him, How long dost thou make us to doubt? If thou be the Christ, tell us plainly. Just, just tell us. Just give us a yes or no. Are you the Christ or aren't you the Christ? Again, he doesn't answer questions like that. He doesn't just give a yes or a no. What does he say? Verse 25, Jesus answered them, I told you and ye believe not. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. If you want to know, Christ says, if you want to know if I'm the Christ or not, look at the works that I do. Nobody else is doing those works. Nobody else is raising the dead. Nobody else is, is able to do those things. Again, what do you, what do you think? Look at the works. Right? He says that the works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me, but ye believe not, because ye are not of my sheep, as I said unto you. Uh, these, these unbelievers had plenty of evidence that he was the Christ. They didn't, they didn't need him to say yes or no. All the evidence was there. All of the things that indicated that he, he was the Christ, the works that are associated with the kingdom, he was doing. And the problem was not that he hadn't been clear enough. The problem was they didn't believe. Right? So when he would do these works, they would explain him away. They would say he must be, he must be using the power of Satan to do those things. They would ex- explain them away in, in these, you know, these various ways so that they wouldn't have to be accountable for actually believing what all those works pointed to. You know, as he's doing all of these things, remember, I mean, they, they even have the, the audacity to come and say, give us a sign, right? The signs were all around them. He didn't need to, to give them another sign. He's, he's raising the dead. What else do you need for a sign? Right? And, and he said the ultimate sign would be that he was going to raise from the dead himself, that he would give them the sign of the, the prophet Jonah. He doesn't come and say, I'm the Messiah. He just does the works. He just does all the things that the Messiah was going to do, and he leaves it up to, to the individual to form a, you know, a personal conclusion about that. And, uh, and he talks a lot about, about his works here. Um, for instance, John 10, if you skip down to verse 30, he says, I and my Father are one. And, and of course the response is that they took up stones. Verse 31, then the Jews took up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, Many good works have I showed you from my Father, for which of those works do ye stone me? For him to say, I and the Father are one, is only blasphemy if it's not true. But you see, he had shown that it was true, because who has the power to make the dead live? Right? Which, which of those works, which of these works that I've done are you stoning me for? Uh, in fact, if you go back into John chapter 9, there's, a, there's an account here that I, that I really like, uh, where... Christ heals a, a blind man, again, one of those signs associated with the kingdom that the blind would see, that their eyes would be open. And uh, he heals this, this blind man here, and the Pharisees are upset about it because, see, they don't, they don't want people to know about this evidence that Jesus is the Christ. They know what the significance of those things are. And so they call this blind man in to try and really to, to kind of try and convict him so that he won't be able to, to uh, provide any evidence in favor of Jesus as the Christ. And in verse 15, there, John chapter 9, it says, Then again the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He said unto them, He put clay upon mine eyes, and I washed and do see. Therefore said some of the Pharisees, This man is not of God, because he keepeth not the Sabbath day. Others said, How can a man that is a sinner do such miracles, and there was a division among them. Verse 17, they say unto the blind man again, What sayest thou of him that he hath opened thine eyes? He said, He is a prophet. 
But the Jews did not believe concerning him that he had been blind and received his sight until they called the parents of him that had received his sight. I mean, they're having a whole trial here uh, because they want to either either disavow this miracle or, you know, in, in some way invalidate it. Uh, you see, part of their, their argument is they don't even believe that he healed them until they call his parents in. They question them. Verse 23, therefore said his parents, he is of age, ask him. Then again, they called the man that was blind and said unto him, give God the praise. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered and said, whether he be a sinner or no, I know not. One thing I know, that whereas I was blind, now I see. And they couldn't deny the works that Christ did. You see, if Jesus had gone around saying, I'm the Christ, it, it just would have invited all kinds of arguments about, is he the, you know, is he the Christ or not? Prove it, you know. But he just does the works. He just does everything the Christ would do and leaves it up to them to make a conclusion. And you see what conclusion the Pharisees make. Uh, the man who's, who's healed, though, he says, I, I don't know what to make of it, but I couldn't see before, and now I can. And uh, so Christ points to those works. Even with John, even with somebody like John, as John appears to have some doubts about who he is, he says, just go, re- go remind him of, of what works are being done. And um, it doesn't really tell us what what uh, John's you know John's response was when those disciples come back to him. But let's go back to our text in Matthew chapter 11. So here, as these disciples leave, and this is apparently happening in front of a, a group of people, um, Jesus takes the opportunity to teach some things about John. Jesus here reminds them of that ministry of John the Baptist and how they had gone out to him and and how he was a prophet and more than a prophet. Verse 15, he that hath ears to hear, let him hear. You know, Jesus Christ did all of these these, uh, miracles where he's making people who can't hear, hear and make people who can't see, see. And there's... There's spiritual importance to those things. Now, certainly to the, to the individual who's healed, there's great importance in the, the uh, physical healing that they receive. But you realize that Israel as a nation, they were deaf and they were blind spiritually. They couldn't see these things. That, that's why those Pharisees argue against Christ and, and won't accept what he does, because they're, they're blind. And they're deaf. And they can't hear. They can't see. And here he says, He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. If you have spiritual ears to hear, to understand what was going on with John the Baptist, to understand that, that uh, he was, he says, he says, if you'll receive it, this is Elias which was for to come. Then he says, let him hear. But verse 16, he says, But whereunto shall I liken this generation? It is like unto children sitting in the markets and calling unto their fellows and saying, We have piped unto you and ye have not danced. We have mourned unto you and ye have not lamented. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say he hath a devil. The son of man came eating and drinking, and they say, Behold, a man gluttonous and a wine-bibber, a friend of publicans and sinners. But wisdom is justified of her children. And... You see, he likens this this generation and the leaders of that generation would have been these Pharisees that are continually denying who he is. He, he likens them to children, he says, in the market. And, and they're, they're never happy. Right? He says, we, we piped you and you didn't dance. We uh, lamented and you didn't mourn. And, and the idea there is that the Pharisees, they expected to be the ones controlling the show. And so John comes along, John the Baptist comes along, and you remember, he says he came neither eating or drinking. You remember how, how John 
survived. He ate locusts and wild honey. Uh, locusts are good kosher food. Okay, uh, but he's out in the wilderness eating uh, locusts and, and wild honey. Um, you know, dressed in a, a camel's hair garment and, and that kind of thing. And and they say, don't believe him. He must have a devil, right? He, you know, that guy's just not normal. Don't don't believe him. Well, Christ comes along. Christ doesn't do that. Christ comes eating and drinking. Christ comes, and he's in a lot of ways just the opposite of, of John, uh, as far as as far as that kind of asceticism, you know. Uh, and and they criticize Christ, and they say, oh, he's gluttonous. He's a wine bibber. He's out there with the the publicans and the sinners. And they, you know, you have those those you have John at the one extreme and Christ kind of at the other extreme. Now that does not mean that Christ was involved in sin. Right, but he's out there. He's he's coming to call sinners to repentance. And so, where does he go? He goes where the sinners are, and he's not there partaking in their sin, but because he's around it, uh, they criticize him. And they want to be those those children who are going to be piping, trying to get somebody to dance, or you know, the Pharisees want to be those those children trying to get somebody to dance or somebody to lament. And John and Christ don't they don't allow the Pharisees to control that situation. Uh, the Pharisees criticize John for his asceticism, and John doesn't respond to it. And they criticize Christ for being with the sinners, and Christ doesn't respond to it. Because those Pharisees are not the ones in control of the situation. John, a man sent from God, uh, he as he begins his ministry, he's got a message from God. It doesn't matter what the Pharisees say. Christ does not fit, Jesus Christ does not fit into the, you know, the, the framework that the Pharisees had set up. And, and you see that, how they, they criticize him over and over again, not for, not for disobeying the law, but for disobeying their traditions. See, the Pharisees were convinced that when, when the Christ came, undoubtedly he would be one of them, right? I mean, they're, they're the ones who, who, uh, know the word of God. They were the, they were the, the theological conservatives of their day. They were the ones who believed the Bible. Uh, you know, certainly the, the rival sect, the Sadducees, they didn't take the Bible literally. They didn't believe in, they didn't believe in spirits. They didn't believe in resurrection. You know, a lot of these things that are in the Word of God. The Pharisees said, hey, we're the, we're the fundamentalists. We're the ones that are sticking true to the, the truth of God's Word. But as religious fundamentalists often do, really what, in many cases, what they were doing is they had replaced the actual Word of God with these traditions. And so, this Jesus comes along and, and he doesn't have any regard for their traditions. In fact, he says that their traditions actually made void the word of God. And they say, that guy can't be, he can't be the Messiah. He's not one of us. We don't, you know, he doesn't have any credentials. He doesn't have, he doesn't have any of these things that we expect of the Messiah. And so they make that decision from the outset and they aren't going to be convinced by any evidence to the contrary. They aren't going to be convinced even when he's raising people from the dead, even when he's uh, healing, you know, healing lepers and, and uh, the lame and the blind and the deaf. None of that is going to matter to them because they've, they've prejudged the situation that there's no way that he can be the Messiah. And here at the end of chapter 11, then, you can see that, that the rejection, you know, there certainly have been people that have believed on Christ but the nation as a whole had rejected him. And here he begins to, to mention specific cities. Now again, if you just read this straight through, it sounds like, it sounds like these, you know, these first 12 chapters are happening in a very, you know, just a very small period of time. But by the time you're here at the end of chapter 11, 
there's been enough time for Christ to be around to, to uh, you know, a lot of different cities and for them to form an opinion and, and decide to reject him. Here he says, verse 20, Then began he to upbraid the cities wherein most of his mighty works were done because they repented not. Verse 21, he says, Woe unto thee, Chorazin! Woe unto thee, Bethsaida! For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. Now these cities that he mentions here are, are Galilean cities up in the north of Israel. Uh, the same place really where, where uh, Christ was raised. That same area. Uh, if, if you read the Gospels, you see that uh, often the, the places where, the places where they, they had, you know, known Jesus even from his youth, they were actually less likely to believe on him. Okay? And, and here up, you know, these, these Galilean cities, uh, he, he says, woe unto them. Now if you go over into the, the book of Revelation, for instance, uh, you, you, there's a lot of woes there, woe unto these people. It, it's, there's some judgment coming for what you've done and woe unto you because of that. And, and here he says, that if the mighty works that had been done in Chorazin and Bethsaida, if they'd been done in Tyre and Sidon, now where are Tyre and Sidon? They're, they're up there to the north of Israel, but they're Gentile cities. Uh, that city of Tyre, um, remember one of the, one of the ways that Satan is referred to in the Bible is the king of Tyre. Wicked city there. Uh, a city that God handed over to judgment. And he says, look, even these wicked Gentiles, if they had seen the things that you've seen, if they'd seen the miracles, if they'd seen the works, he says they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. And here are these Jewish cities, these people who have the Word of God, these people who should recognize their Messiah, and and they just hold Him in contempt. Um, he says in verse 22, I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon at the day of judgment than for you. Verse 23 says, Thou Capernaum, which art exalted unto heaven, shall be brought down to hell. For if the mighty works which have been done in thee had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I say unto you that it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for thee. And you know, there's a, there's a principle of God's judgment that God holds man accountable for the, the light, the information that is available to him. And you know, those people back in Sodom, Sodom was, was destroyed by God with fire and brimstone. But those people in Sodom didn't really have a, a lot of, a lot of information about God. Now it didn't, it didn't give them an excuse. It doesn't give them an excuse. They still suffered the judgment of God and those people will suffer the judgment of God eternally. Okay? But what he says here is he says that if they had had, if they had had everything that these Galilean cities had, if they had seen these works, if they had all the information that they had, they would have repented. And he said, because of that, it's going to be more tolerable for them in judgment than it will be for these people. Now you think about the wickedness of a, a city like Sodom, where, you know, two angels of God come there, and the men of the city are wanting to, to violently rape those angels of God. You think about that kind of wickedness, and... Christ says, compared to you Galileans, you, who are probably somewhat religious people, uh, who have the Word of God, who, you know, participate in, in Israel's religious system and all that, and he says, those, those wicked people, they're gonna have it a little bit easier than you're going to have it in judgment. It kinda, it kinda shows you where God's priorities are. 
You know, you think about the wickedness that, that we see in the world today, and this tells you God considers uh, rejecting Christ in the face of, of all the evidence of who he is, he considers that more worthy or worthy of greater judgment than just, you know, some of the, the base, lewd things that are out there in the world. You realize that there are people uh, in, you know, today in our culture that sit in church every Sunday that are going to have it worse in the judgment than some, you know, wicked homosexual or fornicator or whatever. It doesn't mean those things aren't sin. They are. But what's the greater sin? Uh, here, this, this, you know, somebody who has all the information. This, these aren't people who had never heard or had never heard of the Word of God. They're not, they're not uh, you know, some people in some, some remote tribe somewhere uh, who've never heard the Word of God. These are people who had the Word of God. These are people who uh, just had every benefit and yet they're held accountable for those things. Hi, I'm Richard Church, the teacher here on Verse by Verse. I'm glad you've listened to our podcast today, and I would like to let you know that if you have any questions about anything you've heard here, you can contact me by email at richard at richardchurch.com or by telephone 608-339-9522. I also encourage you to check out our church website at www.friendshipbiblechurch.com. Thank you for joining us today, and our prayer is that this program would be a blessing to you in helping you to grow in your understanding of God's grace.